washed with tears. One night, Jesus went to dinner at an important leader's house. The important leader invited his important friends. They were all just sitting down to eat when a woman walked in. She was not invited, but everyone knew who she was. Who does she think she is? the guests whispered. How dare she? The woman was a big sinner, and everyone knew it. Well, it was easy to see. After all, she had broken the rules and done bad things. The woman walked straight up to Jesus. She was carrying very expensive perfume. Now, the thing about perfume back then was that it didn't come in bottles. It came in jars, and the jars were made out of precious stone, like alabaster. But here's the catch. The jars didn't have a lid or a stopper or anything, so the only way you got the perfume out was if you broke the jar. And once you broke the jar, that was it. You had no more. Most people didn't use perfume because it was too precious. They just kept it on a shelf and looked at it. So you see, this perfume was her most precious thing in all the world. It was her treasure. The woman knelt down before Jesus, like he was a king. She held Jesus' feet in her hands and started to cry. Her tears fell onto Jesus' feet, washing them. She kissed his feet and dried them with her long, dark hair. And then she did something strange. She broke the jar and poured the perfume all over his feet. Everyone gasped. What a waste! Over someone's feet? Such expensive perfume? It smelled like lilies in a summer field. Jesus looked at the woman and he smiled at her. What she had done was the most wonderful thing. Just as Samuel had anointed David, God's true king, all those years before, so this woman had anointed Jesus, not with oil, but with her tears. The important people were cross. They thought Jesus should not be kind to this woman. That woman is a sinner, they grumbled. We're the good ones. And it's true, they did look good from the outside. After all, they were keeping all the rules. But Jesus could see inside people, and inside, in their hearts, Jesus saw that they did not love God or other people. They were running away from God. They thought they didn't need a rescuer. They thought they were good enough because they kept the rules. But sin had stopped their hearts from working properly, and their hearts were hard and cold. This woman knows she's a sinner. Jesus told them. She knows she'll never be good enough. She knows she needs me to rescue her. That's why she loves me so much. You look down on this woman because you don't look up to God. She is sinful on the outside, but you are sinful on the inside. The important people shook with anger. Jesus turned to the woman and smiled. Your sins are forgiven, he said. You trusted me, and God has rescued you. 
Who does Jesus think he is? The important people whispered. Only God can forgive sins. They didn't believe Jesus was God's son. The more Jesus loved people and helped them, the more the important people and leaders hated him. They were afraid people would follow Jesus instead of them. They were jealous and angry, angry enough to kill Jesus. Good morning. And good morning to those of you who are watching online. We're glad you could be with us, including, uh, including my niece, Emery in Austin, and also those of you in F3. Secret handshake to you guys. Um, don't tell anybody about what we've got downstairs. Never mind, everybody. That's just kind of a private message for the F3 people. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, we're going to look at the story that is the primary story that's being portrayed in that um, storybook video that we just watched. I say primarily because um, every gospel records a story of Jesus being anointed by a woman at a meal with a man named Simon, um, anointed with costly perfume. Uh, and that the the example that we just saw just now combines two events because there really are two separate events in the gospel. Luke records one. Matthew, Mark, and John record the other. Uh, Luke describes, the one that we're looking at today, describes an event halfway into Jesus' ministry with an unnamed sinful woman, uh, most likely in Capernaum. And the host here is a Pharisee. But Matthew, Mark, and John describe an event a week before Jesus' crucifixion. And the anointing there is done by a godly woman, uh, Mary of Bethany, and the Simon in that occasion is, is a leper. Uh, so we're talking about two different things, two different times, two different locations. Um, Luke's event is really about, the one that we look at today is really about how great love results from being aware of how much we're forgiven. The second one, the second anointing is really about anointing him before he's crucified. Um, and, and in the other one, um, the perfume is poured on his head, and this one, the perfume is poured on his feet. So we're going to look at uh, the one that this uh, representation was largely about, which is uh, Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to just read the whole passage, if you don't mind. I'm going to read from the New American Standard, verses 36 through 50. That'll give us a broad view, and then we're going to just kind of go phrase or clause or verse by verse. Um, all the way through it. So I'll begin reading in verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, kept wiping them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. 
A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were both unable to repay, he graciously forgave them. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. He said, You've answered, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Uh, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she has loved much, but she who is forgiven little, lo- but he who is forgiven little loves little. He said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Right from the very beginning, uh, we see that um, Jesus is requested to come to this Pharisee's house for dinner. We don't know why. It says now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. Um, we, we really don't know why. He, maybe he was planning to test Jesus. Maybe he was planning to catch him and something he might say that would somehow warrant them arresting him. Or maybe he was curious about him. Um, or maybe he really wondered if he was a prophet. Um, because just a moment before in this same chapter, Jesus had just raised from the dead a boy whose mother was a widow from Nain. And uh, they were on the way. They were in the funeral at the time that Jesus raised him. And the uh, people began to proclaim, we have a prophet in our midst. And this happens um, almost immediately after that in the same chapter. So maybe he was trying to find out if indeed Jesus was a prophet, although most commentators kind of doubt that because of the way we're going to see that Simon treats Jesus. Let's keep reading. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. If your version is anything like mine, at the table is in italics because that's not there. It's included within the idea of the word reclined because that's what they did when they ate together. When they ate together, they would lie down on couches on their left side. They would eat, everybody would eat with their right hand and their feet would be on the back of the couch. So it's really like you're leaning towards the table and very close to one another um, with this, with the feet Uh, back behind him. Uh, So Jesus reclined at the Pharisee's house, and that's understood. It's for a meal. Verse 37, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Now, obviously, everybody at that meal was a sinner except for Jesus and just like everybody in this room is a sinner. So the idea of just saying she's a sinner, normally for us we'd say, well, kind of duh, everybody is. But this particular word is a word um, which when it's used, it's, it's really used two ways in the New Testament. One is to distinguish a Jew from a Gentile. Uh, a number of times you'll see this word is used where they'll say from the Jews and from the sinners. 
and it's really referring to Gentiles. But the only other way it's used is to refer to somebody who's a sinner on steroids. Uh, in other words, their whole reputation is wrapped around how sinful they are, very often even tied to their profession. And, and everybody that you read on this is quite confident this woman was, was a prostitute, almost certainly. Although she was not, as some people built up in tradition after, after the first century, some people built up the idea that she was Mary Magdalene because Mary Magdalene gets introduced later. But this is not Mary Magdalene. There's no reason to believe that. Uh, there's no support for that. Um, but she is, uh, her, her name in this story comes out as this woman, and she's really a sinner. That's kind of the idea. Uh, and, and part of what is curious about this is in our culture, it would seem awfully weird if a woman who's not invited would walk into the house where you're having a meal with a well-known guest. But for them, that wasn't unusual at all. In fact, it was a custom. It was a custom that people in the community who knew that a guest had come to dinner, uh, it would be very common, especially if it was a rabbi, they would come to the window and listen. They would even, be, they would even walk in the, in the house not to eat because they weren't invited to the meal, but they would listen to the conversation. Um, in fact, they, they would even interact in the conversation. Um, and sometimes beggars would come. Beggars would come when there was somebody because they figured that more people worthy of note, more people who have money are going to be there. And so as they listened to the conversation, they would look for an opportunity to say, by the way, could I have just a little something? But this woman is a little different. This woman is a little different. She, she was on the lookout for Jesus. It says that as soon as word got out that Jesus was going to be reclining at Simon's house, she came. And not only did she come, but she came prepared. She came prepared with this alabaster vial of perfume um, with, with very specific intention with that, that perfume. She's obviously going to greet Jesus. She's obviously has a plan for Jesus. But what's really remarkable is that she was willing to go to the home of a Pharisee because certainly she knew she would be derided. Certainly she knew she would be scorned. Her reputation had gone far afield, kind of like that woman at the well in Samaria in John 4. And, and, and clearly, she was not there to get something because many people would come to get the conversation. Many people would come to get alms. But she was there to give something. She was to give this ointment as an anointment, uh, this ointment as an anointing for Jesus. Um, What's interesting, though, is this isn't her house. This isn't her house. It's Simon's house. And as we'll see in a moment, it would have been customary for him to anoint her, but she does it. And not only does she anoint him, but she doesn't anoint his head, which is the normal way people would have anointed. She anoints his feet, probably not feeling worthy of anointing his head. Let's look at this again. 
Verse 38, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Um, I don't know this for sure, but I kind of doubt that she went planning to weep on his feet. I, I suspect that she went planning, I'm going to put this ointment on his feet and anoint his feet. I'm going to worship him. But my suspicion is that she was overcome. You know, when, when we see our sin plainly for what it is, and we see the Lord plainly for who he is, the contrast is so great that it can be overwhelming. You remember how Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, fell down when he was brought into the vision of the throne of God. When a person sees their sin in contrast to his holiness, it just makes sense that they fall down. And in a peculiar way, I think it makes sense that she weeps. Because she's aware just how far short I am of him and how his forgiveness is a remarkable thing in my life. She's overcome. And the verbs that are used here in this verse are verbs of continuous action. Uh, it's not that she anointed. It's not that she um, had a few tears on his feet or that she wiped a little bit. It's that she went on doing this. Almost as though the tears wouldn't stop and the wiping with her hair wouldn't stop. She just was really... Uh, it, this was an act of worship. I think about a guy I counseled back in Houston over 30 years ago, probably 35 years ago, and he was struggling with pornography, which has been a problem for a long time. This is long before cell phones and long before the internet, but he struggled a great deal, and we had met several times, and we were taking some steps to try to help him walk away from that sin and walk away from that temptation. And he came back in for an appointment and we began talking. I began asking him about his week and how he was doing with some of the things we were talking about. And I'll never forget, I still remember where I was sitting. I remember where he was sitting. sitting. He broke into tears and he couldn't stop. He must have cried for five minutes straight. Clearly, it wasn't for me. I, I think it was that he was considering God's holiness and God's forgiveness in contrast to his sin, and I think he was just broken by it. And interestingly, uh, because that's a very, any kind of repeated sin patterns that we might have are very, very difficult to overcome. Um, this guy, really, whatever it was that God did in him over the this period of time was remarkable because within less than two months, uh, he was living a very different life. And I don't know exactly how all that happens. It's in the spiritual realm, but I believed at the time, and I still do, I suspect part of it was that he had literally kind of come to an end of himself. And I think that's what happened to this woman. Um, she wasn't crying for show. In fact, 
that would have been an indignity where she was for her to cry and for her to let her hair long. Women didn't wear their hair long unless they were a prostitute, typically. A few exceptions to that, but almost completely. And so here she was subjecting herself to great scorn, but she could have cared less. Look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, remember the people just a little bit before were saying he was a prophet because he had raised this boy from the dead. If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Do you, do you see... Do you see Simon comparing himself to her? You know, if you had asked Simon uh, on a normal day, by the way, Simon, do you ever sin? Sure. I think he would probably acknowledge it. I mean, this is a man who's supporting a system where uh, sacrifices are being burned constantly, even apart from all the prescribed offerings you know, the sin offerings and the guilt offerings and the, the wave offerings and the, all the other offerings that came about. And in addition to all the special days, uh, there were more than two general offerings a day, sacrifices being offered, and that's beyond all the free will contributions. In other words, smoke was constantly ascending from a sacrificed animal in Jerusalem to show people, to remind people that everybody is a sinner. So he was certainly aware in some way of sin but not in the way he looked at her by comparison one of the things you see in verse 39 is it says he said to himself if this man were a prophet when when a Pharisee in the, in the Gospels, whenever you see it say a Pharisee says to himself or a Pharisee thought to himself watch out Um, I think there are something like eight different times in the Gospels where it says Jesus, well, where it shows that Jesus read their mind. You know, it's kind of funny. In a way, I almost, when I'm reading a Gospel and I see so-and-so thought to himself, I think, look out, something's going to happen here. Because when Jesus is in the room, and he's always in the room, you're never thinking to yourself. He's always eavesdropping. And we see that here. After he thinks to himself, this man can't be a prophet because then he would know what kind of woman this is. And if he knew what kind of woman this is, certainly he wouldn't let her touch him. Well, look at verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. I think it's interesting, by the way, that Luke, in verse 40, uses the word answered. Why would he say answered? (laughs) Simon hadn't said anything. Well, what it means is he answered Simon's thought. (laughs) And the way we know it is look at the story. Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. Go on. Speak. Verse 41 and 2. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which would be about a year and a half salary. Whatever you make in a year, year and a half, that's how much he owed. And the other one owed 50 denarii, so maybe a couple of months' worth of salary. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Moneylenders, by the way, were not in the habit of forgiving, so this is kind of a big deal. 
So which of them will love him most? If you're anything like I am, you always get a little nervous when Jesus asks anybody a question because there's getting ready to be a point. (laughs) And the point is likely to be about you. Simon said, I suppose, the one he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Verse 44, so this is Jesus in response to, to, uh, to Simon. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. This is Jesus speaking to Simon. He said to him, do you see this woman? Well, we know he does. Not only because she's there, but because Simon just thought about this woman. And what's really interesting about this whole passage is it's really, um, we, we didn't read this verse because it was before this uh, pericope, this, this story comes together beginning verse 35 to 50. But if we had gone back one verse before, uh, Jesus is having a bit of a contention with the Pharisees. And look what he says in verse 30. Uh, 35, because it sets up what Jesus is getting ready to do with Simon. Verse 35, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. He had been talking about, they had been talking about John the Baptist and Jesus, and how John the Baptist was an ascetic. He didn't celebrate much of anything. He was, you know, he, he, he was kind of, they looked at him as a crazy man because he was out in the wilderness and having a rough time, and they called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard because he would eat with sinners. So the, the Pharisees were finding fault with both of them. It didn't matter whether you were an ascetic or whether you were a person who, who enjoyed the fellowship and contact with people. Either way, they were going to, going to judge it. But Jesus says, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. And this whole story we're reading now, 36 through 50, is actually a picture of how wisdom is vindicated by her children. In this sense, that when a person is wise, you'll see the fruit of it in their life. And when a person is foolish, you'll see the fruit of it in their life. And this whole story rides on that comment by Jesus. Because look at what he says in 44, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. In other words, Jesus is referring to the common custom of the day that if you had a guest, and remember, Simon invited him. Jesus didn't barge in. He was asked to the meal. Simon knew he was coming. And, and this is just a normal dignity you would do with anybody. You would either have a servant there to to take care of their feet because they were dirty, or you would have a bowl, a basin, and a, and a towel because they're going to take their sandals off and they're going to lie down at the table. And who wants grubby, smelly feet at the table? And Jesus does the same thing Simon does. Remember, Simon is comparing himself to this woman, and Jesus does the very same thing. But Jesus comes away with a very different conclusion. See, Simon's conclusion is that woman, that sinner, he obviously must not know what she is because no one would allow such a person to touch him if he were a holy man, if he were a prophet. And but the reality is Jesus certainly knows who this woman is, as we're going to see. 
But he, he shows that she has more grace, more wisdom, if you will. Wisdom, the word really means skillful living. She has the better skillful living here than even Simon. In verse 45, he adds to that, you gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You've seen like I have, if, if you've ever been in the Mediterranean or if you've ever been in Israel or even if you've watched something on television that takes place in one of those places, invariably you'll see people grab people by the shoulder and give them an embrace with a kiss on the cheek and a kiss on the other cheek. That's what he's referring to. It was a common greeting. You come to someone's house for dinner, they're going to grab hold of your shoulder and they're going to do that. They're going to give you that double bus. But you didn't do that, but by contrast, she continues to kiss my feet. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Great contrast. Not only did Simon, this is another thing a person would have done, they would have given them a bit of oil on their head just as a way to refresh them. And he says, not only did you not do what you would normally do to anybody that you would invite, neither the feet nor the kiss nor the oil, but she went one better on all of them. She did it to my feet. Here's a woman who probably doesn't feel herself worthy to anoint my head, which would have been appropriate for you to do as custom calls, and she does it with my, with, with my feet, which is a mark of her humility. It's a mark of her recognition of who he is in contrast to who she is. In verse 47, oh, Jesus knew who she was all right. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus knew how many husbands she'd had. He knew she was living with a woman right now, not her husband. He knew every one of her sins. First Samuel 16, 8 says, man judges according to the outside, but God judges the heart. Jesus knows this woman's sins, and he doesn't minimize them a bit. And he doesn't say they're okay. He just says, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. They've been forgiven. And then it says, the English versions, most of them say, for she loved little, and really that's not the best translation. There's a a little Greek word that really would be better rendered, and, and that's why she, lo- that's why she uh, loves much. Uh, not, not she loves much and therefore she's forgiven, but she's forgiven, and then this little word hadi, which means with the result that she loves much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And there he's zeroing in on Simon. He's saying, you who see the fault in another don't see your own fault well enough to realize how deeply you are in need of forgiveness. But you're quick to see what someone else needs. You know, the point here is not that the woman has sinned more than, the man, more than Simon. That's not the point. The point is that the woman is aware of her sin. The reason she loves Jesus much, and by the way, when you love Jesus much, you tend to love others much. When you know how much you're forgiven of, 
typically what happens is you don't judge others quickly because you're constantly aware of your own need for grace and as a result you can't help but give grace to others and, and Jesus is saying people who are forgiven of much are the ones who will love much and his point is not Simon and you haven't sinned very much therefore you've not been forgiven much what he's saying is if you really saw your sin the way God sees it, you would realize how much you need to be forgiven. And if you knew how much you need to be forgiven and who it is who stands here able and willing to forgive you, you too would love much because you've been forgiven much. I'll never forget a conversation with Mark Carey uh, before this building was built um, probably 23, 24 years ago. We were back in his office in the other building that's now the nursery. And um, I was talking to him about some things I was struggling with, just bringing up my anger, bringing up some of the ways that I sinned, some of the ways that I saw myself falling short of God's purposes for me as a genuine, committed Christian. And Mark was listening and um, I, I was talking about kind of how much it was weighing me down and how frustrated I was with myself. And he asked me a question I'll never forget. He said, John, do you feel God's love? And I said, well, I know he loves me. He said, I didn't ask you if you know it. We certainly wouldn't have hired you if we didn't think that you knew God loved you. I asked you if you felt it. And I said, well, wait a minute. I'm the counseling kind of pastor, so I'm the one who's supposed to ask feeling questions. That's not really your job. And besides, I don't like those questions. So he asked it again. I said, I have felt his forgiveness. I have felt his love, I mean. And he said, you have. Well, then that, that's not really like an ongoing thing then for you. And I said, no. I mean, on occasions, I've really felt his love. I can think of specific incidents where I just became overwhelmed with the love of God. But on an ordinary day-by-day -day basis, no. And then I went on to say because, and I went into talking about how I fell short. And he listened. And he said, John, as a man thinketh, so is he. I said, I know but I don't really see what that has to do with me. I mean, I know I'm forgiven. He said, John, you know it in your head, but you don't feel the love of God on an ongoing basis, and I believe it's because you continually focus on shortcomings that you have. Awareness of a shortcoming is right because of our ability to go to the Lord with that, but the constant focus on it means you're not constantly focusing on the remarkable love of God for you. And I just didn't know what to say about that. But since then, I've come to realize that what this woman has is not just a great awareness of her sin. She has a very high awareness of her sin, much higher than, this, than Simon. But she has an even greater awareness of God's love for her that he has forgiven her. And that's Jesus' point. He wants you and he wants me to know that the more aware you are of how forgiven you are, the more aware of how loved you are, 
the more power there is for you to live this life the way he would have us. Look at how the passage finishes. 48, he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Go on to verse 50, and then I'll finish with verse 49. He says to her, your sins have been forgiven, verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. He's pronouncing the gospel to her. Your faith in me and my ability to forgive is what has saved you. Now go in peace. That's the good news. And if you're a Christian today, his goal for you and his goal for me is to realize how much we've been forgiven of. So that it builds humility and gratitude and worship for him and patience and, and kindness towards others where we don't sit around meditating on their sins. But frankly, we can't do it for them if we don't do it for ourselves. It isn't because we haven't sinned much. It's because we've been forgiven of much. And notice in verse 49, it's sort of the final picture. It's more of a picture for people who maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus yet by faith. Those reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? That's the central question. If you've never come to a relationship with Christ totally by faith, totally by faith in the fact that he died for you, he didn't die for you because you're a good person, he didn't die for you because of what it means for him, he died for you because you, like me, are in great need. And he offers us what the Bible calls eternal life as a gift to all who believe. And he does that so that as we enjoy his great grace, we can show it to others. And we can learn how to deal with sin in our lives as well as others. I hope that if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never just accepted that free offer of eternal life, you'll do it today. Because he really does love you. And he knows all of your sin. And for those of us who have already done that, I just pray that we might not, uh, we might not lose sight of his great love. So that we're not beating up on ourselves and so that we're not beating up on others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for life. Thank you for the fact that you show yourself to us. You show the Father to us. You say if we have seen you, we've seen the Father. And so to see Jesus in this remarkable interaction, we see you. I thank you that he doesn't really mock the Pharisee. He really gives him an invitation. That if Simon could see his sin like this woman sees hers, he would see his great need. And it would free him from sitting around in judgment. I ask you to do that for me. I ask you to do that for all of us as a church. That we'd be a, we would be a place that welcomes sinners, but that we would also be a church that builds people up in the truth so that they might be able to go in peace and sin no more. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.